All right, we are going to overview today. We probably aren't going to get done because we are way short of time. But that's okay. This was all important and all part of worship. There is a, uh, this, the, within the next few weeks during our CE hour, if you're here, you're going to learn that worship is not synonymous with service. Service can be worship, but service can be a part of worship. But we worship together, and that's unique to any other day of your life. How many understand that? There's a uniqueness to that, where we all get together and worship the Lord. By the way, everybody has this idea that we all want to get to heaven so we can do what we want. You will. If you're a believer, you will do what you want. Do you know what you're going to be doing in heaven? For sure, there is, I mean, we're sure on this. Worship. That's what we're going to do. We're going to worship. Um, that's, that's the only thing we can be dogmatic that we will do. Now, I believe there's going to be work in heaven because I believe that's an aspect to worship and service. But I, uh, we for sure will be worshiping the Lord. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me, if you will, please, to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. We finished Romans chapter 15 down to where then the principles and the uh, truths that he wants to express are basically done. We've gotten that far. He has, in essence, in the end, he tells, Paul tells us that he is going to, or he has, fully accomplished his God-given responsibility to serve the Lord by being the, giving the gospel to the Gentiles as a whole. And then he's going to, and we'll, we'll, we'll deal with this at the end, the conclusion of the book of Romans, but then he's going to tell the church at Rome, I want to visit you, but I've got all this gospel giving to the Gentiles to do. But I will do that when I go to Spain so that you'll help me in that endeavor. He wants to get to Spain to fulfill all of the Gentilic land, at least what they understood as Gentilic land in that era. But we'll deal with that at the end because if you would re recognize Romans, the end of 15 and 16, it's all about the relationships he has with the people within the church of Rome, which is so important. And we'll deal that with that another day. I want to preach that. So, we'll end that. When we end that, when we end this, we will end that. I know that makes all the sense in the world. When we end this last section of overview, we're going to overview the last section, then we'll finish it with his uh, salutation, if you will, with the people that he was around and knew relationships. So this morning we're going to start in chapter Romans chapter 12, but before we go there, we have to understand chapters 1 through 11 are dealing with what? What is God giving us through Paul? Now this isn't necessarily a normal sermon we would preach on Sunday morning, but I want we need to have the bird's eye view of what we discussed for the last two years. Okay, standing with Christ. Chapters 1 all the way through verse 11 are dripping, saturated with theology. The one man, the first Adam, how did he do? The second Adam, how did he do? Right? So, so and then he explains what that means. It's theology after theology after theology all the way through the text there. Just saturated. Then when he gets to chapter 1 through 8, it's all about salvation, what it is, justification, what that means, righteousness, how do we obtain it. All, the, all that's filled there. Then he goes to chapters 9 through 11. And what's that talking about? It's still theology, 
But there's a special theology that he didn't talk about before. He talks about eschatology in a sense. And how that you became a people. Praise God, Christ came and we became a peoples of God. Amen. For God chose Abraham way before as the people of God. And you and I, you and I we ain't no son physically of Abraham. We're not. We're a different son of somebody else. But spiritually, we are a son in that we are children of faith. Remember, that's where the text says, I mean, he's getting after the Romans, the Jewish Romans. He said, guys, listen, it's not about the circumcision. How many would say amen to that? Amen and amen. It's not about the circumcision. Would you stop it with the circumcision? That's what he's saying. If you will remember... Your father Abraham, who you almost bow down and worship, which they do. They don't worship, but they almost do. He was a child of mine before. 14 years before his circumcision. Why? Because his faith has made him righteous. Amen? And he talks about that in chapters 9 through 11. And then says... Now you're a peoples of God. Praise God, you Gentiles. And then he gives the probably one of the greatest statements in Scripture. If the failure, I think this is Romans 11, right in the middle. If the failure of the Jews is a glory to you, is it? Oh my goodness. Because of their failure, Jesus died for all of us. Praise God for that. Because of their failure, they rejected Christ. You now can have eternal life. You now can be a child of God. You now are a peoples of God. Is that awesome? Is there anything more awesome in your life than knowing that you will spend eternity with Jesus Christ in heaven? Is there anything more glory than that? There is nothing more glorious than that. Oh, but there is. Because then Jesus or Paul says, alright, so their failure caused this great glory for you. Don't you get arrogant about this. And we will. What will it be when I turn back to them? What, if that's glory, imagine how much more glorious it will be for them when they turn back to me. Amen? When I have made them jealous and they come to a saving knowledge. Oh man, it's just awesome. The eschatological ramifications that all of that has. Based on all of that theology, Paul then says the term, Every time you use this term, I'm learning this because I, I, I know I study it and I, and I know it here, but I don't realize it in my paper. How many understand that? When you say those, these types of words, they mean, okay, based on what, a different paragraph now, <laughs> based on what I've talked to you about, based on all that information, therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God. What are the mercies of God? The mercies of God. God has just in 11 chapters given you the mercies that He's given you. You were lost, but now am found. You're a child of His. He causes all things to work together for good. There is no longer any condemnation. Amen! Are those mercies or what? They're fantastic mercies. Based on those mercies, based on what God has done and is continuing to do for you, I urge you, I, okay, this isn't a command, but it's a command you. <laughs> this is as big a command that Paul usually gets. I beg of you, I plead with you, 
I urge you, present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Okay. There's sacrificial, pietistic language in this verse, is there not? Pietistic, as I mean priestly. You want me to get on the altar? What did Paul say? We just read this two weeks ago. I am like a priest that has offered up the Gentiles in sacrifice to God. Right? Same terminology. They're equal here. So our bodies are a living sacrifice to God. What does that mean? It brings to our attention another verse. You are not your own. You have been bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body. Two weeks ago we talked about this. I, I just had had a, 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 a class with a Dr. Horn. Too many times, I'll just say, I'll, I'll just be honest, too many times our hobbies get in the way of God's altar. There's nothing wrong with fun things to do, but they can overcome our lives. How many understand that? And the reason I brought Dr. Horn up is his golf clubs are sitting in the closet, never used. None of those things matter. Work for the night is coming. There's an essence of, listen guys, we've got a more important work to do than to catch 57 pounds of fish. Now, you have a rest, take a day, whatever, but here's the deal. This life that I've given you here is about me, God. It's not about you. I will, in turn, give you an eternal life of blessing. Believe me. But, right here, you are mine. Do we live that? Our bodies are to be a living sacrifice. Holy. Acceptable. It is a reasonable service. This is the least we can do. Amen? Living, holy, acceptable. All those words are just dripping with theological truths that were mentioned. Living. Actively. Going out and impacting the world for Christ with their faith. Amen. Holy. Set apart. Different. Different than what? Different than the world. Why is it that we have taken the stinking, nasty, repulsive, wicked, unholiness of the world and stuck it into the church to think that would make us relevant? It makes us relevant to the world and therefore becomes irrelevant. What matters is we are different, distinct, and to be honest, aliens, sojourners in this world. But we act as if God put us here to revel in the fleshly desires of our flesh. That's not what this is saying. Living and wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. See, I, I'm going to... This is an overview. Stop it. Okay, we'll do that. It is biblical, reasonable, and logical that Christians worship God by being a living sacrifice to Him. That's what that verse is saying. It is biblical. It is reasonable. It is logical for what, because of what God has done to us. What does that look like? It looks like this. Do not be conformed to this world. Don't look like the world. Don't act like the world. Don't talk like the world as in sinful. By the way, we are to be in the world. Amen. But don't let the world impact us in a sinful way. Amen. It's exactly what it's saying. Don't be conformed. Don't be pressed into its mold. Listen, folks. 
We live with the children of Satan. The children of God and the children of Satan are living together in this world. How many have ever heard of, of St. Augustine? One person? St. Augustine, he is, he is, by the way, I, you, you love him or you hate him or you do both. And frankly, every single scholar does both. He said some great specific things. He went off the rails in some things, in my opinion. But here's the deal. He wrote one of the major classic books of all Christendom. Anybody know what that book was called? The Two Cities of God. Why would he say the Two Cities of God? You are in two worlds. This is what they're going to say. They call them king Luther calls them kingdoms. I think that's too far. But you are in two worlds and you are. We're in the world's world. Are we not? Absolutely. Are we to be there? Yes, God called us to there, right? He didn't call us to Mars, although some of us act like it. I shouldn't have said that. He called us to the world to do what? To impact the world. Most definitely to impact the world. We can't impact the world if we conform to the world. The world that we live in, that God has called us to, is filled with literally offspring of Satan and offspring of God. Unbelievers and believers. True? He has called us to that. We do not look and act like them. A Christian doesn't do that. A Christian is repulsed by that. But for some reason, we want to be accepted by the world. It does not matter what President Biden thinks of me as a person. It doesn't matter what anybody thinks of me as a person outside this church. Now, does that mean I look like a weirdo and all that? I'm not saying that. Don't, we don't act like the world. We don't act like that. <clears throat> I think Straub really messed all these things up in these changes. I saw him playing with it, and I should have. Ugh. All right. <clears throat> we'll just roll with it, and I'll. Can you hear me okay? That's what matters. So we are not to be conformed to this world. We're not to be. Now, listen, we're to be at peace with all men, but we're not to act sinfully like the world does. Where our lives are totally in all these other things. But, you know, God gets Sunday. You know, when did God call us to be a Sunday Christian? Someone give me a book and chapter. It's not around. You don't cease to be a Christian the moment you walk out that door. We are to be in this world, but not of it. We are to be transformed. How are we to do that? We are to be saturated with the Word of God. Amen? Absolutely saturated, living in God's Word. It makes us a different person. You were raised in a house. Huh. I will give you this example as a perfect example. I walked, my wife and I walked into... Duh, I don't even know the name of the church. Detroit Baptist Church. I don't know if that's right or wrong. It is what it is. <laughs> I walked into that church and I would, didn't know, I, I knew one guy, so I went and talked to him, but he wasn't from the church. Um, he was a kid I went to seminary with. But I then walked and I saw this guy. I didn't know where I was, I didn't know what we were going to do. I saw this guy over there. I went over there and I said, Hi, I'm Tim. And he just looks there and laughs. Okay. He said, yeah, I know who you are. I'm David Stock. I'm Brian's dad. And then 
I saw all of his mannerisms, all of his actions, <laughs> a lot of his personal facial uh, uh, looks. I knew who he was. Why? Because his son, who has stayed with us, who is marrying our daughter, has lived in that house for 18 years. And the mannerisms, the looks, all those things happen. How many understand? Why can't the world see that in us if God truly is our Father? Our mannerisms, our speech, our looks. Here comes that grumpy old Christian. I don't want to be like that. Okay, again, overview. The Word of God transforms our lives. Why? So you can prove, so you can live what the will of God is for your life. What is God's will? Probably the number one question as a youth pastor I heard more than any other question. Pastor, can you please tell me how I can find God's will? How many have ever had that question? If you don't raise your hand, you're a liar. Everybody has that question. What am I supposed to do? Here's what you need to do. I know God's will for every one of your lives. Do you know what it is? Faithfully obey Him. Faithfully obey Him. Because you will not know God's will unless you are faithfully obeying Him. If every aspect of your life is not the Lord's, you already have handicapped God. Think about that. Not truly, but in a sense. So you can prove, you can live what the will of God is. That which is good, that which is acceptable, and that which is perfect. How many of you want to live a good, acceptable, perfect life? Oh, there it is, right? There it is. The sacrifice is not to be affected by the world, but transformed by the Word of God. Your body is God's. Your life is God's. Your person is God's. What happens when we become sacrifices that are acceptable to God? Well, it says it. For through the grace that given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of you, that he ought to think. So number one, if you truly are saturated with the Word of God, you're not going to be that pompous, proud, arrogant person. Amen? That's not going to be who you are. You're going to be humble. Sickness will cause humility. You're relying on somebody else. You can't do it. Yeah. Scripture without knowledge makes us hum uh, humble, does it not? The more you read Scripture, the more humble you become. Sharing and talking to people about the Bible humbles us. But usually we think we know more than everybody else does. Which is simply not true. So, he, 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 we don't, we're not arrogant people. God does not call arrogant people. Now, He uses arrogant people. He used Pharaoh. Okay, here's how, here's how it works. If you want to be arrogant, first of all, if, that, if arrogance def defines you, I would question your salvation, number one. The most arrogant, richest, pompous man who ever lived in the world at the time of Joseph. Not the time of Joseph. At the time of Moses. That Pharaoh was pretty arrogant. Hated God. Hated Moses. So uh, how did God use that arrogant man? Anybody know what happened? How God used him? Remember the plagues? At the end of all that, do you know what he did? 
Let's give our gold and our silver to Israel and let them go. <laughs> so in other words, it's not I'm just going to keep you or I'm not going to just kick you out and watch you die in the desert. We'll give you all of our riches so that you can go. How's that? How do you think that did, what do you think that did to Pharaoh's heart? God hates arrogance. He hates pride. If you are saturated in the Word, committed to the Lord, fully devoted to Him, we become humble people. We have sound judgment, the text says. As God has allotted to each one a measure of faith, we are gifted specifically and we realize those gifts and we use those gifts not only within the church, but in our vocations also. By the way, why is it when we look out there and we see all these people in the secular world that do a spectacular job in their, in their, in their vocation? How many have seen people like that? They just, wow, you do a really good job. How does that, are they, they're certainly not, let's just say, they're not saved, but okay, how do they get that? Well, I think the text tells us that We aren't living in a Linus world. Anybody remember who Linus is? Was Linus the one with the cloud or no? no. Who's the one with the cloud? Pigpen? All right. Linus had the blanket, right? Security blanket. Now it's, uh, never mind. Okay, stop. <clears throat> Pigpen. Do you remember Pigpen? That cloud followed him everywhere. It was a farmer's dream, <laughs> right? But rain falls both on your neighbors and your land. Common grace. Common grace. Praise the Lord for particular grace. Amen. The results of mind renewal are humility and growth in God's giftedness. For just as, if you're following along in verse 4, for just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, our sacrificial worship to God is individually serving His unified body collectively. In other words, we worship together. When we go to heaven, we're not going to have our own little cabin out in the middle of nowhere. We're going to be all together and we're going to love it. We're going to love every minute of it. I will tell you this, one of the things that happened in the last few weeks is I know for without a shadow of a doubt, I shouldn't say it that way, <clears throat> unless God totally redoes my whole complete being, I will never live in a major city. Detroit is nuts. <laughs> oh, I've never seen so many people in so many cars in my entire life. They have four lanes for cars on just simple roads, not highways. It's and houses. Oh my! The closest house to my house is five hundred yards. Theirs is sometimes five inches. It's crazy. Not that I'm discouraging those people. What I'm saying is. God has called us as a church. Yes, He called individuals, but we do not deserve nor do we need to be alone. We're together. This morning we just showed that, did we not? We need each other to pray for one another, love one another, serve one another, help one another, pray for one another. Amen? The body requires that each part serves each other. That's our jobs. We're here to serve each other in the church. We're here to serve outside the church too. And if you're here, CE hour at 9 o'clock next Sunday morning, you will hear that. Another plug, important. Romans 12, 6, Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophesying, prophesy according to the portion of faith. 
God gives each child a specific tool to serve the household of faith. If prophecy according to the proportion of faith, if service in serving, if he who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. In other words, use your specific preordained gift to serve others. It is uniquely special to you. You have a special gift nobody else can fulfill within this church, within this family. How many of you have ever been raised in a family? Please raise your hand. Amen. All right. Praise the Lord. Everybody's right. I, 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 I wish I had a camera. That would got to be the first time that has ever happened. The reality is, you know who's not going to pick up their plate and put it into the dishwasher. But you know who's going to come around and pick up that plate and put it in the dishwasher. You know the one that's going to make their bed. You know the one that's going to go get the wood. You know the one, and you can, you can put all these. In your family, there are distinctive giftedness, is there not? In the large family, those giftedness are not only there, present, but they are extraordinary. And we praise God for every one of their gifts that God has placed in this church. Let love be without hypocrisy. Okay, what does that mean? Let love be without hypocrisy. That's what it looks like if you're truly born again, you're truly uh, one of His, and you're saturated in the Word, then your love will become real. It won't become hypocritical. What does that mean? Sincere, okay? A sincere love. Let me explain an unsincere love. Oh, you've got money? Let me be your friend. Oh, you have a fishing boat? Let me be your really good friend. Oh, you have this? I love you. That's hogwash. That's, that is exactly what that isn't. That's hypocritical love. It's easy to love those you love. Do you know what's hard? To love the one that doesn't love you. To serve the one that doesn't like you. That's hard. That's what believers do. Abhor that which is evil. Clings to that which is good. Folks, if the world today abhorred evil and cling to good, could you imagine? Boys would be boys. Girls, girls. What has happened is the church has secluded itself from being that salt and light. How many have heard that, and I, I'm going to say this again, but it's when you spend two weeks focused on one subject, it's all over, right? Please forgive me. But the truth. How many of you have ever said, don't raise your hand. I don't want to embarrass anybody. How many of you have ever said or believed that the reason the public school system is so terrible is because they took God out of the schools. I would dare say most of us, if not every one of us, have thought that or said that. Let me give you another option. Maybe it's because the church vacated the school and there was no God anymore. How many understand what I'm saying? I am not saying that every single person, that's a Christian liberty issue. Don't get me wrong. We homeschooled our kids and then we put them in ICC. And I will tell you, I would not do anything different. Not do a thing different. They love the Lord. They're at peace with men. They can handle being out in the world and they know it. But most Many, many fundamental Christians, conservative Christians, 
have never experienced what it's like to be in the world. How many understand what I'm saying? Whether you go to Christian school, home school, or public school, that is your Christian liberty. And you, by the way, parents, you, oh, see, I, oh. <laughs> parents, 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 you are accountable to train your children. That is a biblical thing. Amen? If your child does leave your home without knowing certain things because you wanted to keep them from the world, that's incompetence. It is. They need to know math. They need to know grammar. They need to know how to live in this world through those sciences that God has placed here. Amen? And if you cannot give that to them, then get someplace that they can. It's not more spiritual to be one of those three, period. That kind of that sets, hopefully, makes sense to you. We'll be talking about that on Sunday morning in CER, by the way. But abhor that which is evil, cling to that which is good. Serving others requires genuine love for God. You will, not, you will stop serving others when it's all based on how you feel and, and what you want to do. This is a choice that has to be done. Genuine love results in genuine love for others. Practical results of sacrifice, renewing our mind, and God's giftedness. All of these are. Be devoted. We're going to be devoted one to another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Serving the body of Christ and reserving the body's rightful place in our devotion. Not lagging behind in diligence. We're on fire for the Lord and we're on fire to serve each other. Do we do that really? Or have we adopted, embraced the country western song, it's all about me. Me, 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 me. It's not. If that's your heart, check your salvation. Truly. Serving the Lord. Serving the Lord. Serve each other is our passion for we love serving our Lord. Matter of fact, as a result of loving and serving the Lord, we'll want to serve other people. Look what God has done for us. What happened when we served the Lord with total abandoned focus? Romans 12, 12-13 tells us, Rejoicing in hope. Rejoicing in hope. We, in essence, we got a smile on our face. God saved me, and I didn't deserve it. God has promised an eschatological home that's made out of the riches of His mercy, which we didn't deserve. How, many, how can you be down in the dumps over that? The second thing is preserving in tribulation. This morning, we just went through a prayer meeting where people bore their hearts. The only way you can peacefully get through these circumstances is to be abandoned to the Lord and His truths. When we know, we just had a testimony, Tricia. When we abandon, or when we realize that God is totally sovereign, we relish that. Why? Because He causes all things to work together for good, right? All things. Well, you don't understand. No. There's no understanding in the, any of these aspects. Every Christian should be have the, and I hate preaching this because I don't want something horrible happening to me and I got to live it out in front of you. How many understand that? But the reality is, bad things will happen to us. We're in a fallen world, in a fallen community, in a fallen environment. All of it's fallen. But you. Is God wiser than we are? 
then why should I be discouraged? Why should I fear? He has my best interest in mind. Preserving in tribulation, devoted to prayer. What is this idea of devoted to prayer? We are absolutely submissive to our Lord. We are absolutely, we cannot, we cannot do anything worthwhile apart from Him. Nothing. And frankly, even just being without Him is, according to Ecclesiastes, worthless. When serving Christians, when serving, Christians serve each other. There is hope in hopelessness. There is strength in tribulation. There is power in prayer. The power in prayer is I'm going to get my way because I'm going to keep begging God till I get it. That is that. You have too view, high of a view of yourself. We are simply resigning to the fact God is in control. Amen? Contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. We're a family. We belong together. We serve each other. We help each other. Matter of fact, in, does anybody remember what happened in Jerusalem? In 19, or 19, yeah. In 46 to 48, Right in that time frame. I'm going to say 44 to 48 just to be sure, but I think it's only two years. There was a, a, what happened in Jerusalem? Does anybody remember? There was a drought. There was a, there was a famine in the land. So we've got the church, which is like only what? 13 years old? 10 years old? They are already being persecuted by the elites of Jerusalem. But instead, not only are they, are they being persecuted from the world, which we should expect. Folks, if we're not being persecuted from the world, we've got a problem. <laughs> but regardless, they're being persecuted by the world for their faith in Christ. And then, there's no food. So what is happening is Paul is going around getting monies to bring back to help the Jew Jerusalem church survive, literally. And he was going all over. And he was going to go to Rome. We'll find out. In two weeks, he's going to go to Rome to find get the same thing. More monies for the Jerusalem church. Churches serve each other. That's, that's true. When serving Christians serve each other, there is help in helplessness. There is joy in togetherness. We have, once in a while, we have now that we're back behind and not seen from the road as much. We don't have a lot of them, but we have one or two guys or girls, I don't know, every other month or something, wanting money from the church, wanting help from the church. Why is that? The culture has told them that, that's, that you just live by handouts, and that's one place you can get the handouts. That's what it is. Should the church help those that are homeless? Well, Jesus Christ Himself talked about that, did He not? Our heart's going to break when we see these types of people and we do want to help. Here's the problem. The problem is, all they want is... <laughs> I will give you an example and explain it. There was a guy who called me up and said, Tim... I, I need some help. I need some money. I said, well, okay, tell me what you're... He told me his situation. Well, I had to go get my car out in Floodwood. Past Floodwood. The axle broke type thing. Not the axle itself, but something. Anyways. I called this guy and said, hey, you want to take a ride with me? Yeah. Okay, I picked him up, homeless guy, put him in the car, drove all the way down to the Floodwood. By that time, it was lunch, so I lunch for him and myself got in the car he helped me we get it up on the trailer and they start taking it back first thing he said hey can I have some money so I just fed you what do you need oh I got this addiction to 
to um to uh something let's just say that and uh, I, I need you to buy me one I said I never bought that and I never will I won't do it no that's not going to help you well okay, okay. I'll come to church tomorrow so yeah I'm going to pick you up you are <laughs> you're coming to church pick him up at the hotel bring him to church after church I'm supposed to go all the way down to Longville to Miracle Bible Camp and, and, and meet up with Jeremy. <clears throat> Say, hey, you want to come with? Yeah. First thing out of his mouth, as soon as he gets in the car, right after church, what do you think he says? Hey, can I have some money? I need to go get... No, I, I gave you lunch, and I'm, I, I'm going to get you lunch here now too. And no, I'm not buying that. I told you that. He asked me four times. That trip, just that last trip. I said, listen, buddy. I care for you, and that's not helpful. If I give you that for, for that thing you want, if I do that for you, you won't have enough. For what you're going to pay for that, you could have three lunches. Why would I do that? Well, 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 I like it, and, and, and I, I need it. No, you're not going to die. You're not, not, no, you don't need it. That's the problem. And then I asked him, Have you, are you truly born again? Do you love the Lord? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you love Him more than that? I never heard from him again about that. How many understand? It is not our job to help people continue in the wrong way. We get it? We are not to support or help them. And I will tell you, even today, churches are supporting and helping, and in, in essence, they're behind people that want to change genders. Because we should love them. I get it. But not love them in their sin. We don't aid and abet their death. <laughs> How many get this? It's so important. Do we care for them and care for their souls and their body? Yes! That's why we're trying to tell them, don't do this. It's just like a child. <clears throat> we have never lived next to a highway, but after being in Detroit, it seems like everybody lives on a highway. But I would, I would always say, you do not, do not get out on that road. Do not go to that corner. Do not go. I will keep you from that road because your life depends upon it. The same is with the transgenderism and, and girls, guy, all that nonsense. Don't do that. You're hurting and will, are destroying the rest of your life. I'm telling you. What the school is teaching is dead wrong. It's going to kill them. It's not going to help them. You're massaging a sin that is so devastating, it will ruin your entire life. But we still care. So we give the message of what God has done for their lives. There is help in helplessness. In other words, there are going to be people within the church that are going to be helpless. We're there to help them. There is joy in togetherness. Is there? Well, if the joy of the Lord is their strength, yes, there is. If the joy of the worldly pleasures is their strength, no, there will be jealousy. What happens when we serve the Lord with total abandoned focus? Verses 21 through 20. Serving each other is our passion, for we love serving our Lord. This is what happens, and, and this was a long thing. We went into eschatology a little bit here because of the text that was at hand. All right. With that, we're going to stop because that's where I'm stopping today. Okay. Overview. Overview of chapter 12. 
Now, here's the bad thing. Chapter 13 is coming. That's not bad. I know. We'll do like everybody else. We'll skip it. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Amen. I'm going to remind you we talked next week. I'm going to remind you of chapter 13 and that we dealt with it from two angles. Remember there were people that just we have to wear masks. Praise the Lord. Go ahead. We don't wear masks. Okay, go ahead. Whatever. That's your Christian liberty based on your knowledge of Scripture. Not on our fleshly comfort. How many remember that? Okay. So we went through, if you remember, the, the Bill of Rights as a Christian compared to the Bill of Rights as a American. We went through that, and then we went through Erwin Lutzer's sermon. Anybody remember his sermon? We will not bow. Both of them are right. And therefore, we have to act like Christians in those two aspects because we live in two worlds. How many understand that? The Noetic Covenant gave us this. The Davidic Covenant gave it what this is supposed to symbolize. Okay, let's put it that way. How many understand what that I'm saying there? Redemption through came through Abrahamic Covenant, not the Noetic. The Noetic Covenant gave us government. Two worlds. One Redeemer, Jesus Christ. How many are excited about next week? We'll try to get through it quickly. How many learned something today on this overview? It's a bird's eye view. And I pray that we live that way. Mr. Zarin, could you close us in a word? Can you come up here and close us in a word of prayer, please? Thank you. Let's stand over this mission card. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity again to gather around the Word of God and to hear it preached. And thank you, Father, for your Holy Spirit that gives us the understanding of your Word so that all that we can even understand it. Father, we would pray for some of these needs in the church and we realize there are people that are in pain in many different ways, either emotionally or physically. And Lord, again, we have to realize that you will be glorified in this, and I pray for patience for each one of these individuals that through this trial, you will truly be glorified. Thank you again, Father, for your grace in Jesus' name. Amen.